0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right, I've got to get center stage here. I got to be able to see the clock. I don't want to go overtime on my first one. Good morning everybody uh i got to make sure this is the right height, too. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. How's everybody doing this morning? That's good. So, uh, i make sure that's not my beard there. <laughs> I was thinking about shaving my beard, actually, and uh, I, I figured, it's kind of, I knew about this sermon for a long time. Steve gave me lots of heads up, and uh, I figured I better keep the beard going. It's kind of like a playoff beard type of thing, you know. You're coming up to your real important thing. Real important game. You don't want to shave. You want to do anything different. I haven't showered in weeks. (laughs) But uh, no, I just wanted to make sure that uh, I'm I'm on my game, right? Because whether you're getting ready for big, important events or anything like that, you want to make sure that you're in uh, top condition. So you train and and you try not to mess with routine too much because routine is important. Uh, Repetition and uh, and stability is really important. Um, So I'm going to be preaching from... Partly from the book of Revelation, partly from uh, Matthew, and then a, a little bit of taste of the Old Testament as well. Uh, if anybody that sees the, the message that goes out, it's about uh, God's kingdom. Uh, something that we've been looking at, uh, the coming of Jesus. We've been talking in Revelation and in other books about how uh, Jesus is our king, and it's his kingdom that we're to be building. And there's no denying that he's, he's coming, right? And we need to prepare for that. So what I sent out was that kingdoms can be built with bricks and wood, they can be influenced with powerful words, but there's one kingdom that matters that, that's going to last forever, and, and the everlasting kingdom of God. So, it's a funny story about uh, how I kind of got, I, wanna, I don't want to say roped into this because it feels obligated, but uh, Steve had approached me a few months back about preaching, and uh, He he sent it to me in an email, so I was thinking, okay, uh, I have some time to think about this, and I got back to him right away. So in email terms, that's within the day. And he uh, he asked me, you know, do you want to do a a sermon this summer? And my initial reaction was no. (laughs) Why why would I want to get up in front of people and and put myself on the spot there? But uh, as I I said, you know what? I'll I'll pray about it. I'll I'll give it some thought. And uh, so I took it away and I said, give me a week to give you an answer. And I started praying about it, and I started thinking, okay, it's right in the heat of summer, I usually go on vacation, I go away. I can think of lots of excuses that sound really good, and it's, you know, it's pretty viable. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I'm not on vacation that week, so that's out. <laughs> and uh, I started thinking about other things. I said, so seriously, I did start to pray about it. And as I prayed about it, I was being convicted. You know, God was doing a lot of things in my life, uh, things that had recently changed in my work life for the better. Um... I was getting ready to uh, buy a new house. Uh, things were going really well with selling my house. And I was just like, oh man, God's blessing me too much. I can't say no. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I don't, sometimes I don't know what, trying to discern being called. I was definitely feeling the pull quite a bit uh, that day as, or that week as I was thinking about it. So, it, it was a lot of things going well. So, spoiler alert, here I am. I said yes. And then, uh, so I said, well, then Steve's like, okay, we'll give you some curriculum, and we've got the gospel project going on. I said, okay, so he tells me what I'm, where I'm supposed to be preaching from, and uh, it's the book of Revelation. So I said, okay, great, first sermon, it's going to have to be a prophet as well and, and, and discern what, what's yet to come. So um, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll try to make that work. Uh, so here I am, I'm going to be preaching on Revelation 4 and 5, and we're going to be talking about God's kingdom. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus' character and who we worship. And Jesus is, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is God. Jesus is a, a God that's true, just, um, giving. And I want to look at a little bit about the, the giving and the sharing uh, aspect of his nature, right? Uh, by nature, I think most humans, we're not really natural sharers. Uh, I'm not a sharer. Uh, I heard a really good thing from... Uh, focus on the family's podcast once. It was called uh, The Clam and the Crowbar, and it was talking about how in a relationship um, one person is a clam where they clam up, and then another person is a crowbar where they're trying to get information out of you, uh, like a husband-wife relationship. I'll let you guess which one I am in that relationship. Uh, <laughs> I've always um, uh, struggled to, to share my thoughts, and uh, it's, it's one of those things where you have to be very intentional. Uh, sharing doesn't come naturally. I, I, I believe that sh- the, the lack of sharing is part of our sin nature. It's part of being fallen. Um, God's a God of sharing. He gives us gifts. He, he gives us life blessings. Uh, he gives us himself. And I think it's important to keep that in mind that uh, God continues to bless us day by day. And he, he does Huge acts of 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 sharing, and he's so evident when you you enter in a relationship and get to know him and learn about what he did for us, uh, and, and the and the build up to that, right? But sharing is difficult in this world. It's whether you're sharing, uh, you know, a chocolate bar with your brothers and sisters, or whether you're sharing a, a book report where your teacher's making you say it in front of the class. It's not easy. It usually comes with some level of resistance or anxiety, like the anxiety that I'm feeling right now and trying to share with you. It, <laughs> it just happens, right? And uh, it doesn't come naturally. We have to work on it. We have to try to train ourselves to be good sharers and to be giving. Uh, and, and Christ is an amazing example of that. And it's a good thing he is because he asks it of us as well. We're not supposed to live this life alone. We're not supposed to keep things internal when we're building the kingdom, we need to follow his character and his example and share of ourselves. So the first passage, Dave, if you could bring it up, it's going to be in Matthew 19. Uh, it's going to, uh, it's you, you probably recognize the story. It's about the rich man who approached Jesus. I'll give you a minute to turn there in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, get them out get your tablets get those out too so Matthew 19 a little bit of context here uh, Jesus is traveling with his disciples and um, and they're approached by a man of, of great wealth and he, he he wants to know more about what's going on he wants to know. He's a good man. He's living a good life. He's doing a lot of the right things. But he, he needs to know what he's missing. And uh, I don't think he uh, really was prepared for the answer that Jesus was about to give him. So let's read it together. Starting at verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And then Jesus replied, why do you ask oh, I put that ahead? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. So he asked about what is good. Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life and obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds like pretty good advice, I think, for most of us to follow. So I think we can align with Jesus on that one pretty easily. And the man says, All of these I have kept, he said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible through God. I really like early on in that section where it says, "What do you ask me?" What, oh, sorry. "Why do you ask me about what is good?" Jesus replied, "There is only one who is good." He starts that section off, leading this man down this path, already breaking the barriers of what he knows. It's not about what you can do. It's about who you can put your trust in. It's not about what. It's about who. I think it's rare for people to understand that naturally. And it's rare for people to be able to give of themselves at that level naturally. And for different people, it's different. Some some people, they're very rich, and they hold on to their earthly wealth and don't want to give it up. Some people, time is so precious that you cannot give it up. You can't lay down your time and follow Jesus. How often do we struggle with Dedicating enough time to to say that we're uh, an active follower of Jesus, that we're growing in our faith, that time commitment is huge these days. We're so busy with uh, so many distractions. You know, I, I can blame it on cell phones, computers, and all that stuff, but that's not it. It's it's life in general. Our schedules there's there's just so much going on. But I, I hope and trust that reading that will convict us and tell show that it's more about the gesture, about giving of yourself. It's not about the riches that you're giving. It's the yourself that you're giving. And I think the prime example of that is Jesus, giving of himself, giving his life for us. This is a precursor to show what Jesus did for us. And, uh, and he uses it in a real world example, so we can understand it. Talking about things that are hard to give up, there's money and notoriety. Um, how, how often are somebody willing to take on ridicule and mockery? It's not popular to follow Jesus in a lot of secular areas of this world. It's not a popular decision to give of yourself when reputation is so important. But when he spoke to this man, he knew what was important to him. And that's why he, when he spoke to him, he asked him to give what was closest to him in order to make that life change. And uh, I really like how at the end of the verse, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I think we continue to fall short, and we understand that giving of ourselves is not something that we can just say, yeah, we're going to do it, and it's over. I'm doing I, I give of myself. You know, I'm on the fast track to heaven, and uh, there, there is, we're constantly trying to recalibrate that every day, and we're convicted that we know we're going to continually fall short. We need to be repetitive and routine in our nature when we're serving the kingdom of God. He calls us to become vulnerable and give what we can so that we can seek him and follow him. But we have tunnel vision. We, we, we see the, the scope of you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, how many years we're on this planet. And that's what we, we strive to make a dynasty or a destiny of. We often don't think about what's, come, what's coming next. And uh, well, God has plans for us in that kingdom. And uh, he's placed eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastic 3.11 says he has placed eternity in our hearts. So we have to come to terms to know that God knows what's best for us. And uh, it's an important truth, I think, that we need to keep in mind that whatever we think, we need to start dialing it back and, and look back to the word and trust in him. So the man in the story walked away said, let's put ourselves in his shoes. How do you think you'd take that news? that you have to give everything up and, and follow somebody. Especially if it was a stranger you met. Like, come on, that's, you know, you probably heard about Jesus, but he'd have to think long and hard about that. I'd have to think long and hard about what am I willing to give up. Yeah, I, I, I tend to be an overthinker. I try to analyze every situation and say, what's the, what's the you know, the cost benefit? What's, how, if I invest this much, I want to get this much out of it. Well, Jesus, he tells the people what they're going to get out of it, eternal life. But it's hard to qualify that when we don't understand it and we don't realize what everlasting is, right? So there's three things I kind of want to just highlight before we move on to the next section about Jesus' character and about who he is that we worship. Number one that we see in this section is that God, he, uh, he reiterates that he's a God of law. He seeks obedience and uh, correction to obey his commandments. And uh, it's very evident here because the man asks him directly. He says, what must I do to be saved? He didn't first say that you need to sell everything and follow me. The first thing he said, because he knew the man's heart, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor. God is a God of law. He wants to make sure that we're living our lives as properly as possible in accordance to his law. But when Jesus entered the picture, when he came to this earth, he changed the game. Changed it completely. And uh, that's not enough anymore. But thankfully, you only need one thing. You need him. But we need to remember he is a God of law. He also seeks people to give of themselves in order to be an effective follower. So he sets the example. He died on the cross for our sins. We need to give of ourselves. If we want to be part of God's kingdom, we need to surrender to that kingdom. And also, he's a God of grace where he ends the chapter saying, or where he ends the section where he said, where man, things are impossible, and with God, all things are possible. God wants to make the impossible possible, and he's the only one who can do it. So he's worthy. Those qualities that I just mentioned, that'd be pretty top-notch if you found it in a person in your life. And I think uh, we have the capacity to be good people and to carry a lot of good qualities. But to do it on God's level, He's the only one worthy, and He's the only one capable of that, right? Talking about His worth. I tell you, when I was writing this uh, this, this sermon, it was uh, it was difficult to try to nail down. I, I had my, my verses and, and the criteria that was laid out for what it was going to be, but it's almost like writing a manifesto. Do you know what a manifesto is? The Unabomber wrote one. <laughs> But there, you know, there's a lot of manifestos out there where people, it's basically, it's a statement where you try to cram everything in. It's kind of organized chaos where you, you, you have all these ideas where you want to put down a paper and it's, it's you've got how things, if you did things my way or if if, uh, if you just adhered to this advice, the world would be a better place. And so you can become very scattered in trying to think that, okay, fix this, 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 and then uh, a new world order will, will take care of things and uh, if you listen to this, but usually you know there's holes in that, and and you get scattered, and it's hard to hard to keep focused in something like that. So it was one of the struggles where, uh, when when talking about the kingdom of Jesus, you want to talk about it so much, but uh, you know at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure that we get a good glimpse of what Jesus' character is, and and to talk about why we worship Jesus and about his worthiness. Because you know for you folks that have been here for some time. You see me up here on the stage. um, I'm worshiping. I love worship music. uh, And uh, I I, I feel it's so important what we do um, with our actions and with our lips and who we praise and who we give lip service to. Lip service has got a bad name, but if it's true lip service, if you're praising the one with your lips and your hands, amen, right? We're all going to be worshiping him when his kingdom comes, right? So, in uh, in the Matthew section, we just had a glimpse of uh, his ministry and uh, his 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 kind of character as he as he lived out his time on earth. Now, the next section, Dave, I want to bring up is Revelation four. That's near the back for anybody who's not familiar. So before I start reading this, I thought it was interesting as I was reading and, and praying about it, uh, it, it talks about, uh, we're going to be looking at Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 uh, is about how uh, it's, it's, in, it's describing the throne and heaven and and the kingdom and, and what that's going to look like. And then Revelation 5 gets a little more into the nitty-gritty as the lead up to 6 and 7 where uh, things are going to start going down, that the end times are going to be enacted and scrolls are going to be opened, trumpets are going to be played and people are going to be you know, bowing and, and, uh, and coming under his authority and uh, I thought it was interesting that it talks about heaven first to give us an idea of the order, you know, God is uh, taking his throne and all of these actions that he's about to put in place for the judgment and uh, to the earth comes from a place of great order you know, God is a God of just Justice is worth and that law, that order. And uh, it puts a lot of confidence in somebody when you can see uh, directions coming out from a place that's very strong and stable. I don't think there's a stronger place than heaven, right? So Revelation 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I heard first, the voice that I had first heard, came speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. It was probably more like, Come up here! Right? You ever hear a trumpet? You probably heard one in a marching band, or you know, if you've seen one on YouTube or something. But Have you ever really been beside a trumpet, like one of trumpets playing? You know, a couple weeks ago, we were doing praise in the park, and uh, we were getting ready, and uh, we were messing with some ideas and trying to fit, like, 10 or 12 songs in a three-hour practice or something. It was, it was pretty chaotic, but it was a lot of fun. We, we want to do the best that we can. And so there's this one song uh, called Cornerstone, and there's a line in it. It says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may then Him in him I be found. And uh, we were reading the lyrics of that, and I was like, wow, it'd be kind of cool if you had a trumpet in the band. Um, I always, I always like different instruments, different wind instruments, brass instruments, just trying different stuff. And um, Bethany uh, McKinnon was in the band. She's like, well, I got a trumpet. I was like, really? Okay, that's cool. So uh, she went up a notch in my book right there. <laughs> so she said, you know, uh, we, we could try something just even if we did a trumpet sound. So I said, yeah, okay. And then so we were getting ready uh, the next day uh, for packing up for the band. And uh, so Bethany's like, I brought that trumpet. I was like, oh, really? Okay, I was, thought maybe she was just pulling my leg a little bit and wasn't really going to bring it. We didn't practice anything, and we figured we might play a couple notes. We didn't end up playing it, but um, I, I said to Bethany, I said, let's, let's hear that trumpet. I, I, I didn't want to put it up to my lips. I didn't know what it was going to really sound like. I'd never been beside one. And so we're just standing in the kitchen of my new house, and uh, Bethany says, okay, we'll give her a shot here. And she blows that trumpet. Now, I, I should have warned Brittany and the kids first, but I didn't. <laughs> so she's sitting right in the center of the house. She blows the trumpet, and it's like, like really loud. And uh, I was shocked. And then I seen the kids all kind of pop their head around in the living room, like, what was that? And then uh, Brittany was down the hall, and she comes up. And I was like, do you hear the trumpet? And she looks at me like, well, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I heard, I heard the trumpet. Yeah, so it's one of those things where it really gets your attention, right? And you know, trumpets are used for waking people up in the morning and in the, in the military and stuff. So, so when a trumpet sounds, it's pretty serious business, right? And uh, I like that the Apostle John used a trumpet as this type of way to describe this voice. As if I said somebody spoke to me with a trumpet-like sound. I think they're, they're, they're speaking with authority, and they're speaking with some pretty serious business, right? So it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and then before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in their heads on their heads from there from the from the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of god Also, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Pretty vivid explanation of a pretty majestic throne and and throne room by the sounds of it, right? So in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. There's a lot in there. And uh, the, there's a section starting uh, where it talks about surrounding the throne Were 24 other elders seated on them, or seated 24 other thrones seated on them were 24 elders. Uh, and it talks about being dressed in white. And in the center of the throne, there were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. And uh, when Steve gave me Revelation to preach, that's, this is what I was afraid of right here. There's this a lot of stuff in there, and it's a lot of stuff that's difficult to understand. There's a lot of mystery there. You know, there's, you can go and you can do research, and you can try to figure out who's, who's the 24 elders, or what are those four living creatures? What's their significance? What are they doing? I've never seen those before. Uh, Dave, could you bring up Ezekiel? Ezekiel 1? I'm going to show you where you've seen something like that before if you've read through the Bible. Ezekiel 1 to 11. In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, if you can follow that, while I was among the exiles on the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This is Ezekiel the prophet speaking. On the fifth month it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, but the Kibar, by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning, surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire what was what looked like four living creatures, In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed with burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and the right side... Each had a face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on the other side, and two wings covering its body. After reading that, I can gladly say that Steve didn't ask me to preach on Ezekiel, because <laughs> there's there's a lot in there. There's visions and, and, and things yet to come, and not... The unknown is, is difficult to discern, and I don't, I don't think we need to get caught up too much in that, because you can come to some conclusions, and you can. It, it's good to for for the people that thirst after knowing what what that's all about. Uh, it, it's great to to see other people's thoughts and and to see what different schools of thought are on those things, um, but. I remember reading that years ago, reading Revelation, reading these types of things like uh, unknown creatures and and uh, Armageddon and these things coming up, and it's, it's scary. Like I, I felt a little, I almost felt like an uneasiness about what my destiny was in the kingdom. Uh, it was just this personal feeling. I don't know if anybody has ever felt it either, but it was like I, I, I don't. There's parts of the kingdom of God where it's, it's so scary. It's like I, I don't know what to expect. And I think we need to make sure that we, when we see those things, that we just trust in God and know that He has many. He has all authority over all living things. We don't necessarily know what all living things are. We know we're living things, and we're under His authority. And we need to keep that in mind. But uh, God has a lot of things happening that we don't know about. We know that there's mysteries in the Bible. And I think it's important not to get hung up on that and let it be a stumbling block um, for its approachability. I remember a friend of mine told me that his brother was, he was, uh, yeah, I think I'll give you know, Christianity a chance. I'll I'll try, I'll try reading a book of the Bible. Don't you know he picked Ezekiel? He's like, oh, yeah. That's like going into a movie, a mystery movie. And you get right in the middle, and something just happened. And it's like, whoa, I got no context here. I don't know what's going on. And you only watch it for three minutes, and then you walk out of the movie and say, that that movie was no good. Of course it was no good. You don't know what else is going on. That's not the the meat of it all, right? You've got no context on what even that mystery could be and why it is. So I think it's important to not get hung up on those things. And uh, if you are encouraging people to read the Bible, maybe tell them John or one of the Gospels. (laughs) Don't go with Ezekiel. That that might might be a, a little bit tougher pill to swallow. Or Revelation, it's like, yeah, go read this book and start with chapter twenty-one. Don't start with chapter one. It's like, you should start if you're advising people. I don't think you would, have, but uh, it's just one of those things that want to make sure that if we're representing God and we're we're talking about um, His goodness and His kingdom, let's start with the the, uh, the foundations and and what we know and what we can relate to His time on Earth and His teachings, and then. When we get to Revelation, we can build on that and, and, and know of his character what things are going to be to come, right? God has control. You know, we have to trust him with those things that we don't understand. So like I said before, I spend a lot of time um, uh, worshiping uh, on Sunday mornings. I like to listen to you know Hope FM in the car. You know, worship is, is, has become a big part of my life. Uh, I see Jeff McLean in the audience. Uh, I want to thank you, Jeff, man. You poured a lot of time in my life, and uh, I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing right now with you just spending time and, and uh, making it a priority. And I, I see examples like that in all kinds of people's lives where if you spend time and build them up, um, you know God will do the work and God will do the rest, right? But uh, So, yeah, I spend a lot of time worshiping and spending time with people that, that do worship, and, and I love it. It's It's a way that I can serve. Uh, and I, I feel like I'm contributing because God asks us to praise him. He, he requires it of us to give him praise, and uh, we, we need to give that back to him. It's part of giving of ourselves, back to what I was talking about from Matthew. Um, it's not just giving our things and giving our time. We need to give our praise, we need people to hear that, and we need to do it together in community because you know, we're all going to be praising his name uh, at the end of the age uh, some of us we don't open our lips on Sunday morning. We're not praising, but I'll guarantee you are gonna be praising at the end of the age, right? So uh, repetition is important. I think uh, the way that we we praise is is uh, the way I, I judge it is that is it's something that's reinforcing, right? It's got to be true. It's got to be scriptural. But are we uh, are we repeating? Are we reinforcing and building habits? Uh, I used to give April, April a bit of grief. She'd be like, "Oh, let's repeat this course. Repeat this course." <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh, we already did it four times." But it's, uh, it, it's important to to do that because it's how we engage with God. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves and reminding others that you know God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good, right? And it works in life too. Like repetition and and routine is so important. Even simple things like um I need to remember to pick up milk from the store on the way home. I'll make a song about it so I don't forget. Like if I don't write it on my hand, I'll be like, "Okay, stop for milk." I, what? Well, I'd probably do it to like uh the, Rocky like a hurricane so I'd be like, "Stop for milk." Yeah. <laughs> 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 Whatever's catchy, right? Yeah. So then I stop for milk and then I I get home and I I <laughs> said that yeah, yeah. So it's important. Repetition is important. It can be a very handy tool, handy tool as like a remembering device. But it's also, you know, God put it in our hearts to constantly do that because we forget. Oh man, if I don't repeat things to myself, I forget. I don't know if I'm getting old. I don't know what it is, but I gotta just keep saying things to myself or it goes out the window. I'll get home, Brittany's like, "Where's the milk?" <laughs> or I'll get home and I got a two-liter milk and it should have been a four-liter milk. I was like, mm, "Should have added an extra verse to my song," you know. <laughs> So, yeah, life hack—you guys can keep that in mind. Right? Stop for milk, okay? All right. And you notice here that a lot of the praises in in the, in the Psalms, in Revelation, uh, is very repetitive. You know, "Holy, holy, holy" is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, that "holy" in there—God's not holy; He's holy, holy, holy—and you need to keep saying it every day important. So read chapter 4. Let's have a look at chapter 5. I lost my place, so just give me a second to get ahead here. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing, and on both sides, and sealed with seven seals, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, "Who is worthy to who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth, or under the control or no, on earth could open the scroll or even look inside it." Now this is John speaking. I wept and wept. There's that repetition, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep." see the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed he is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals you know this uh the scroll business this is this is nothing to just kind of gloss over this is pretty powerful stuff that's about to be enacted this is the end of the age this is Christ's judgment um, it, it's things to come and uh, I'm not sure what the next couple of weeks are preaching on but so I'm just gonna, you know, say ahead. The, the, the scroll, each, after each seal is opened, uh, the first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then there's the redeeming of God's people. Then there's catastrophic environmental disasters, a holy silence in heaven. You know, this is no small scroll. They're breaking these seals, this is not anybody can just do this. Somebody is enacting a plan, and that somebody's God. There's only one person to to bring that plan to light. Uh, his justice and his truth and his worthiness makes him that person. You know, God and John says he wept and wept. You know that repetition there. I, anytime I see something repeated in the Bible, I, I definitely read it three or four times, and uh, I think it shows that John knew something important was happening. He's being shown this vision for a reason, and in that moment when they're searching for somebody to open the scroll, he knows how important it is, and at first when there was no one to open the scroll, he wept and wept. He wept like there was the fate of the world was on his shoulders. And now nobody could do anything about it. But then, somebody came, the one who was worthy, right? Continuing on, it says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That stuff is pretty more familiar to me, those references. It's not hard to tell who they're talking about. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb who was slain. You know, where have you heard that stuff before? Who are they talking about? Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. There's only one lamb who was slain. There's only one lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's no mistake. There's only one person who is worthy, right? Now, this next section, it's, uh, it's kind of unlike any other uh, section. I When I read it, it made me think a lot of the Psalms. Uh, it's talking about praise going to God. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about how important the worship was um, to God, as I was saying earlier. But this psalm is a bit different because it's not just coming from David, or it's not just coming from one source. It's kind of it's it covers a lot of uh, a lot of uh, groups here. So from six to fourteen, I would say this is the most dynamic and this most multi-source psalm or praise that I've seen in Scripture. Um, now maybe I haven't. Uh, read enough of it over and over again, but I think this is a a really powerful verse. Uh, It's significant in its impact, and uh, it's significant about who's worshipping Jesus and and why he's being worshipped, right? So there's three groups here, joining in praise to Jesus for all that he's done. It starts with the 24 elders. So the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, This is verse 8. And each one who had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take this scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, every language, and people and nation. You You have made them to be a kingdom. You have made them to be a kingdom. And priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's pretty powerful. 24 elders sitting in Jesus' throne room, trusted people, praising him as the only worthy one because of who he is. And then we have the, uh, the, the next section here thousands upon thousands of angels. Listen for it. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands. That's a lot of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice and sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Anybody who doubted that worship's important? Have a look at that, right? Angels worshiping God, the elders worshiping God, and then the last section, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. See, I told you you're all going to be praising them. Every creature on heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. You know, it's it's a pretty... It's a pretty powerful passage if you you sit and ponder that and the scope of who is worshiping Jesus and the power that they are uh, talking about. They know it. They've seen his works. They've seen his glory, his holiness. And they're compelled. They can't do anything else but worship God because they see him for who he is. Do we see him for who he is? I think we have a hard time in our sinful nature, but we try. And I I really like, I'm I'm glad I get to preach on Revelation 4 and 5, because some of my favorite worship songs actually are, some of the words out of it is kind of written verbatim uh, right out of there. Um, Revelation song, the chorus goes, this is the chorus of Revelation song. We sing it here many times before, taken right out of Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I'm glad that we sing that song here. You know, another one of my all-time favorite worship songs, The Lion and the Lamb. We might do that one next week, actually. It's a good one. So this chorus goes... Oh, good. good. You're thinking ahead. The chorus goes like this. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power, and he's fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Then the second half of the chorus. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world... His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. I didn't just repeat that. That the song actually repeats it, right? <laughs> so I love worship music. I've been listening to music ever since I've had ears. I love it. It's awesome. It's, it's. <laughs> I thought that one might get a laugh. Okay. <laughs> but I. I uh, Anybody who's uh, played music with me for a while, they know that I'm very apprehensive about my singing ability. Sometimes I like to joke, I can rap, but I can't sing. Uh, so every once in a while, I try to get a little gumption, go up to the microphone and maybe sing some oohs and ahs and stuff. But, <laughs> but uh, usually I kind of recede back by the time Sunday morning comes. Uh, but you know, I, I think we worship in a lot of ways. People worship with uh, all kinds of artistic abilities. People worship with their time. They're spending time. They're giving... Time to God. You're giving praise to God. I like to do it with my guitar. Um, I can, you know, I hide behind it a little bit. I can just play the guitar and do my thing. It's a comfort zone for me, but um, that doesn't mean I'm up here not uh, singing praises to God. You know, I, I've, if I if I know the song well enough that it's not too much work on the guitar, I'll be singing and uh, I'll be praising Him with my lips, right? And I think that uh, uh, finding your way to praise God uh, in different ways. Uh, that that's impactful and that's that's showing service to him is important and it looks different for different people right and uh, those those repetition that praise that's that's so important it's like you know regular maintenance like on, on a car or something you have to make sure you get your oil checks done you got to make sure that you're you're uh, you're changing the tires you're rotating things you're twisting wrenches and pulling gears and I'm not a car guy but uh, <laughs> but uh, you got to make sure that you're 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 constantly putting work into it, right? And if you want a good relationship with God and you want to grow, put work into it. Anything else that you do to grow and achieve and be better, put work into it, right? It's, it's really important. I, I think that quite often we come on Sunday morning and we expect uh, salvation to be handed to us on a silver platter. Thankfully, God gives salvation through grace. So it's not through works. But how much do you love God? How much work are you putting into getting to know him and uh, wanting to learn about him? You know, sometimes it's a cop-out to say that you're saved through grace. Thankfully, God, you know, he wants to be with us. But do you want to be with him? Do you want to be with him when his kingdom comes? I think it's important to keep that in mind. And so we've got to seek and build his kingdom. Seek it out, right? You know, on this earth, we're just stewards with what we have. We don't actually own anything. We say we own things. We own physical things, but we don't actually own our life, right? And uh, I think being a good steward is important. And stewardship is basically just something that's given to you, and you want to, and, and you're you're caretaking of it, right? So, I uh, I try to be a good steward. I try if somebody loans me some tools. Well, I don't use a lot of tools, but if somebody owns me loans me uh, things, then I try to be I try to treat it well. I try to give it back to them in better condition than I got it, and I try to do good things with it. I don't know. I try to borrow things that are too expensive to buy, you know what I mean? <laughs> like golf clubs, you know? <laughs> uh, I try to be a good steward with uh, pair of clubs. John Langel, John Langell, he's loaned me a set of golf clubs seven years ago or eight years ago. I don't know. I've had them for a long time. They're si- they've been sitting in my garage for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I almost feel like I own them, though, you know? It's like I've had it for so long. I've used, I only golf like maybe two times a year. I'm not good at all, but it's one of those things where it's like I'm friends with some people that golf, so I go out like once or twice, and I go whack the ball around and play chase the golf ball. But it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's like it's sitting in my shed, and I use them all the time. John's not really asking for them back. He's not, the piper hasn't come calling, but uh, they, they feel like they're, they're my golf clubs. and <laughs> It's probably not right to think of it that way. <laughs> but uh, oh, oh, let me keep them for another few months, and then if you forget, it, <laughs> don't worry, John. I got them all done golfing for the year. So if you really want them back, you can have them, and I'm obligated to give those back to him, aren't I? But what if John forgets about it for another thirty years, <laughs> and I'm golfing, I'm 55 years old, and it's like, uh, I think that's what I'll be in 30 years. No, I'll be 60. Well, okay. <laughs> But, what? Do the, math. do the math. Yeah, if I have them for another thirty years, imagine how much more I'm going to feel ownership of those things. I'm going to forget that John even owned them. I'd be like, "Where do you, you, you ask for golf clubs for? These are mine." They, they're just—they just become a fixture. We get so used to having something for so long, whether it's our lives or whether it's something that people, you know, bestow upon us, we feel like we have an ownership there. You know, God—he owns. He owns us. And we owe him for that. He owns our children. He loves them more than we love them. Do you believe that? Hard to believe that sometimes. We love our children, but God loves them more. It's uh, it's hard to kind of grasp that sometimes. I feel like um, the more that we invest into something, earthly things or or uh, tangible things that we got our hands on, it's we just want it to be ours. But it's his kingdom. He, he it, we're doing His will. And that's why it's so important to kind of repeat that in our in our lives and minds, that uh, we're not supposed to be doing it for ourselves. We're supposed to be doing it for God. You know, when you're living your life, and man, it's like I wake up every morning, and I feel a bit of shame when I wake up. It's like, oh, I should have did things differently yesterday. I should have talked to this person differently. And I get two hours into the day, and I totally forget, and I do the same sin over again. It's like you sin over and over and over and over. If you don't find a way to kind of repetitively uh, reinforce your life and it's like that, that, that Monday morning blues where it's like uh, Sunday, uh, you, you feel so filled up and you feel like, oh, it's so encouraged. And then Monday morning it's like, oh, you're just back to the routine. How do I go on? And, you, know, you forget about serving God and you're just doing your thing and you're just trying to survive. You know, It's part of that stuff where you, you don't have time for everything, right? So you know how, how, do, we, how do we think about that, a, a kingdom that we're working in but we don't really have ownership of? Well, ownership's kind of a funny word. We don't own it. We're not the president of the kingdom. But we need to take ownership of our peace in it. We need to go forth and make disciples. We need to reach out to people. We need to be strong for God. And in order to be strong for God, we need to be weak in front of men. We need to be vulnerable. He calls us to be vulnerable. You know, we need to think about the everlasting kingdom. You ever try to grasp what everlasting is? It's like, oh, it's it's forever. When does that end? I don't know. It never does. Okay. That's, <laughs> if you start and think about it too much, it's almost like thinking about when the world began. You know, When did it, when did it begin? Oh, 6,000 years ago. But God was always before then. So it's like, you can really, kind of, it's not one of those things where you can get caught up and think about it too much. But just know that it's in His hands and His kingdom's everlasting. And we can't fathom it for a reason. You know, God built us with the boundaries of time. And I think He built time for us uh, in order that we can Get our heads straight, because we have limited capacity. We're not perfect, especially in our fallen state. We can't grasp things that fall outside um, our understanding. We can, do, we can make great strides in intelligence and uh, uh, technology and, and making great things, but you know, time travel, I think that's one of those things that they're not going to really master because God owns time. You can't stop a moment from going forward. You can't stop anything. Let me tell you, I was trying to stop the moment coming forward for this sermon. <laughs> yeah. You know, I woke up, and I was just like, oh, no. That was my last sleep, and now I got to prep, and I was like <laughs> nervous. and But you can't stop a moment. You can't get a moment back. That's part of everlasting. Everlasting's not just forward. It's backward, too. God owns the everlasting. He's timeless. He's outside of time. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to make it happen because it's his world, right? And we're thinking about an everlasting king. There's no other everlasting king. There's no more election cycles. There's no more campaigns or promises. Uh, you know, on this world, we've had different leaders. And you know, In the past, I look back, what's some people's campaign slogan? So, 1928, Great Depression. Herbert Hoover, a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. <laughs> 1928, that was, the, that was the campaign slogan. He won. He, he became president. I can tell you there probably wasn't a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage, but he won. He made a promise that people wanted to buy into. How about Barack Obama? Yes, we can. A little vague, but it's positive. <laughs> Donald Trump. Make America great again. People love to just dish on Trump, right? Yeah, Make America great again. It's, again, vague, right? It's, it's vague promises. They can't live up to them. They always make promises they can't live up to. That's politics. It's understanding what we know of it is, yeah, they're going to fulfill some stuff, and they're going to get that low-hanging fruit, do the easy stuff, but... They can't live up to it. I think Jesus' slogan would be something like this: Justice for all. Be saved by grace through the Son of God. He's a God of justice. He's true. And we're saved through grace. But we have to want it. We have to vote for that. You know, we have to be part of that. You know, we're always thinking about our, our kingdoms, our lives. You know, I, I recently my, my personal kingdom changed recently. I sold like I told a lot of people, I sold my house, bought another house quite a little process to do that but uh, <laughs> it's uh, thankfully it went really smooth for me I was trying to uh, know how to how to how to do that properly and how to, how to pray about that I wanted to make sure that I was taken to God and, and pray about it and I'm uh, just gonna skip ahead to a, a verse here it's in Matthew 6 5 to 15. Probably going to go over time by like 10 minutes. I'll try my best. I can talk fast when I want to. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father sees what is done in secret and will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like a pagan, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This is how you pray. So Jesus is telling them directly. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, that's King James coming out to me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we have forgive de- forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men what they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I like at the start of that prayer. It's pretty clear. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We're supposed to pray for His kingdom first. You know, I, I was, I was I, we're supposed to pray, take everything to God, pray honest prayers, and uh, it's okay to pray for things of this earth. You know, we pray for what we know, we pray for people, we pray for um, blessings. God calls us to pray for others, and uh, but we're supposed to remember that He's He's at the front, front and center is the kingdom. And uh, when I was praying about selling my house, it's like okay. I'm, how do I pray for this? How do I pray for a financial transaction? I don't want to be trying to come out on top or anything like that. So I wanted to make sure that I was submissive to God. I wanted to make sure I was praying for the other people involved as well. It's just one of those things that I was convicted about. And I came away with you know, a good, my prayer life had changed a little bit after that because it was a big thing. Moving is a big, is a big deal. So I wanted to make sure that I do it right and I, I do it with respect and I do it in a way that's honoring to God. And uh, I think it's important to analyze how we pray. Uh, just so we can build a good routine and a good uh, a good way to approach God right um, It's been a long time since I, I first made a decision to enter into God's kingdom and it's definitely had some bumps in the road uh, I don't got time for a testimony but a few, just to give you a little glimpse on the journey there uh, I, I uh, spent the first few years growing up in Newfoundland in Catholic Church uh, you know I was, was elementary schools taught by nuns and but uh, we kind of got out of there when uh, the fishery kind of went downhill, and uh, we wanted to make, make uh, plant roots somewhere else, somewhere a little bit more with a, a stable economy. Because uh, my father was a fisherman, and uh, my mom owned the only cornerstone uh, corner store in the little small port town where we lived. So eventually, we, we my parents are very uh, brave people. They packed up, and they, they settled the Nova Scotia. And, and I started going to FBC. Somebody invited me out one day, and it was uh, just a girl up the road, course it was a girl that invited me to church. And uh, it's the Koleski family, if anybody that's been here for a long time, Uh, Amy Koleski. And uh, so I was actually, I've had a pretty good foundation in uh, learning about God's kingdom. I started coming here 11 years old. I was actually baptized here at the age of 13. I was baptized the same day as my mother. So that was kind of cool. We came to Christ at the same time. But you know, it hasn't been smooth there. I haven't been building God's kingdom effectively since that age. Uh, It's been some ups and downs. I, things really got derailed when I was a teenager and I was 16 and started getting some bad stuff and some substances that were probably not good for you and uh, by the time I was 18 years old my parents weren't liking it so they gave me an ultimatum, either shape up or ship out. I was a bit stubborn so I shipped out <laughs> and uh, now uh, so I was kind of living on my own and doing my own thing and I came to the point where I was trying to build that relationship again and uh, it was a uh, I wanted to see my parents. You know, I, we, we were on rocky times, but I, I still wanted them to come around. So, but well, I wanted to see them on my terms. I didn't want them to actually come to my house because I had stuff laying around and I was embarrassed. It's kind of funny though. I was living a lie, right? You know how you can tell when you're living a lie is when you're ashamed of things. You know, I was—I knew in my heart, deep down, that uh, I belonged to Christ. I was living for myself. I was just living from one pleasure and fleshly desire after another, and. Uh, I ended up living a lie for a long time. And they anytime they'd come by, I'd be like, oh, no, can I just go to your house? Because, you know, I got all this stuff running around. You wouldn't like my friends and all that. And uh, I was hiding a lot, right? The truth sets you free. Jesus is the truth. So we need to make sure that when we turn it around, we we, we turn it around to a place where there's a truth, right? And everything points back to Jesus. You know, God's God's worked... uh, god's worked uh, in a lot of ways in a lot of people's lives whether it's here or whether it's in, in the bible you know it's uh jesus has an uh, everlasting impact and uh, but there's still mystery there right has anybody here ever done an escape room ever hear of an escape room those things are cool man those, i uh I thought it was pretty cool we actually went to an escape room for brittany's thirtieth uh, birthday party Brittany's like a real real sharp uh She's a puzzle person. She's, uh, she's one of those people you drive down the road, and it's like there's ten houses, and she said, well, the third one was green, and the fourth one was blue, and this one had white trim, and they had their mailbox flag up. and She's, she's pretty perceptive, right? And so uh, uh, she was carrying the team in the escape room, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it gives you an hour to get out. And uh, basically you go in. Uh, some clues there if you want, but you have one hour to get out of this escape room, and it's got tons of puzzles, you got to find this key to unlock this door, and it's, there's this cryptogram, and then there's this, you got to look at this poster, and we went to, it was like a wine cellar replica place, where it was like a, um, you go there, and it's, it's supposed to be staged as some person's, some rich guy's wine cellar, right? and they give you a little bit of a narrative. And so we went there, and like I said, Brittany's carrying the team. She's solving all the puzzles. I'm in the corner, like, in a ball crying. But <laughs> No, but she, she's figured it all out. We're working together. It was like ten of us, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, there was this one point, we were about, probably about the halfway point, uh, where, you know, there's a really big key, open up this thing, and there's another clue, and we were getting stumped or whatever. And so we're just, you get to the point where you just start pulling that stuff. <laughs> it's like okay, this, this must be a puzzle. I'll try to solve it by force, and I'll try to, you know, figure maybe 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 this box is supposed to be ripped open. I don't know, but uh, there was this part where it was like this this wine cabinet, and um, all it's all empty bottles, and and you pull it out, and you're kind of feeling around, and then there's click. There's this little switch, and then I clicked that switch. I didn't get to click it. I mean, it was somebody it might have been Brittany. <laughs> somebody clicked it. And then it was like this door opened up. And then we kind of look in, and we're like, whoa. Changed the game. The, double, the room doubled in size, and it was like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. We thought we had this thing solved, and we're almost done, and we're going to be escaping. But we opened up the room, opened up the little wine cabinet place where there was this hidden switch, and the room just doubled in size. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. made me think of how when you get to know Jesus, and that click, you know, you know you're saved. He expands your world. He, he does something in you where you have a realization that the world's a lot bigger than you thought. And it's not all about you. It's all about you. It's all about reaching you guys. And um, that's our mission. You know, We're on mission for Jesus. And when he expands our world, he tells us very clearly. We need to follow him and we need to give everything for him. But giving everything for him is giving everything for you too, because that's what he did. That's what we need to do, right? You know, he, Jesus is taking the throne. He's God. And he's the only one that's worthy to be praised. So, if you're here today and you don't trust Jesus, take a good, hard, long look. If you haven't had that clicked yet, do some research. Ask somebody. He, he'll change your life. So, the kingdom that you're building, is it worth building? Is it your kingdom? Why don't you stand? We'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for the breeze. Thank you for the world that you've put us in, Lord, to be stewards of, to take care of. But Lord, I just pray that we be good stewards of this world and lord and that we understand that it's not our world it's your world i pray that we take care of it we take care of its people and we take care of each other there's only one real effective way to do that is to trust in you lord and follow the example that you did giving of ourselves lord and i just pray that we do it in your name and that we we do it in a way that's going to build your kingdom god we know that that you're coming to take the throne and it's an everlasting throne, and only you're worthy to sit on it. We thank you for that, that there's only one worthy. It's a clear choice who to follow, Lord. And I just thank you for that clarity. Lord, I pray for this day, and as people go about their weeks, that they not forget, Lord, that they repeat, that they worship, that they continue to praise you, Lord, and never tire of praising you. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy is as the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God, we bless you and pray you bless us. In your name, amen.